0: Well, this morning we are moving into chapter 42 of Genesis, chapter 42. Not the entire chapter, however. We'll break this into two parts. So this morning, verses 1 through 24. If you'd follow along in your Bible. Well, that's a book version or electronic version, chapter 42, picking up at verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy some grain for us that we might live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. "'Where do you come from?' he said. "'They said, "'From the land of Canaan to buy food.' And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, "'You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land.' They said to him, "'No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies.' He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is, is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless, one, unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother While you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen, so there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. It's the word of the Lord. Oh Lord God, we thank you for your word, this revelation of yourself and your will and all that you've done through history to redeem for yourself a people Holy in Christ, justified by the blood of the Lamb who was slain for our sins. And Lord, your people are being gathered from every nation, from every tribe and language and people group. And we rejoice to be a part of that vast people throughout history, even going back to the Old Testament back long ago. And and until the Lord Jesus Christ shall return. You are building your church, this one church, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Lord, equip us. Let us be your true servants. Humble, contrite, joyful, faithful. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, no doubt, as you have experienced at one time or another, maybe many times, family reunions can be times of great enjoyment. Getting together with family members, some of which perhaps you have not seen for some years or some months at least, Sharing memories from long ago. Making new memories. Having good times at the beach, at the mountains, in the city, wherever you like to go. Eating too much food, almost certainly. And yet, family reunions can sometimes be complicated and stressful. Because, let's be honest, families don't always get along real well, right? There's not always the unity and the love and the harmony And the peace that we might desire. Some families are in fact broken. Jacob's family was one of those broken families. Oh, they needed more than a reunion. They needed a union because they were never united in the first place. They had been divided for years by jealousy and bitterness. It began early on with the jealousy between Jacob's two wives, Leah and Rachel, And though they were sisters, you remember they were combatants, because they were battling it out, as it were, for their husband's love to be first in their husband's heart. And their division continued in their sons, the sons of Leah, against, well, Joseph, the son of Rachel. And now 20 years or so had passed since his brothers cruelly cast him away and rejected him and sold him off to a foreign land to be a slave. And the family division seemed like it would be forever. Joseph living the rest of his days in Egypt, his brothers in Canaan, the family never to be brought back together, never to be reconciled, never to be reunited. But God, right, those two words, but God had spoken through joseph's dreams god had revealed that joseph would someday rule over his family the clear implication of that is jacob's family must come together joseph must come together with his brothers again right it's interesting at least that joseph as governor as prime minister never sought to never sought out his family never sought to make contact with them or go back there maybe he was waiting on the lord to act we don't know but regardless, that time was now. This is a key pivotal chapter in this whole narrative concerning Joseph and his brothers and Jacob, a key chapter. And remember that from, for some time now, the scene has been exclusively Egypt. If you think about this as a, as a, as a movie, the scene has been Egypt, Jacob's, oh sorry, Joseph's Issues Joseph's life in Egypt. There wasn't even a word in the previous three chapters about Jacob and his family back in the land of Canaan, but suddenly, out of nowhere, so to speak, in chapter forty-two, verse one, the scene changes again. Think of a movie, and suddenly the scene is an entirely different scene. Now we're looking back at Jacob in Canaan, from Joseph, now back to Jacob, and that should give get us our attention. It's like Wow, something's happening. Something's coming. God is about to act, okay? Now, in the previous verse, the last verse of chapter 41, we're told that, this, that the famine was severe over all the earth, okay? Over all the land. It was a vast, devastating famine, which means Jacob's family Jacob's family, all the way back in Canaan, was suffering. They were running out of grain. They were about to starve to death, okay? But Jacob heard that there's grain in Egypt. He heard the rumor. He heard the news, okay? And yet his boys weren't very quick to act, right? They were standing around, it seemed, with blank faces, like those vultures in the jungle book. Remember them? Asking each other, what are we going to do? The other say, I don't know, what you want to do? And so the father said to them, why do you look at one another? What do you expect, grain to fall from the skies? Do something. Don't just sit there looking at each other. Go, 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 get out of here. Go to Egypt, buy some grain, take care of our family. What Jacob didn't know is that his sons had guilty consciences, at least concerning the word Egypt. That was the place they had sent their brother over two decades ago, and they had no idea what had happened to Joseph. Was he alive? Was he not? They had no idea what was going on with him, but it probably wasn't pretty. So were they willing to go someplace to secure grain? Probably just not to Egypt. Nevertheless, They obeyed their father and made plans to travel to the last place they wanted to see, a bit like Frodo and Sam traveling to Mordor, right? The very last place they wanted to go to. But one of the brothers wouldn't travel with them. Benjamin, of course. Not by his choice. Benjamin was plenty old enough, plenty strong enough. He was a grown man. He could have gone. But because Jacob didn't want to send him, it's very significant. Okay, because Benjamin was, in Jacob's mind, the only living son of Rachel, his favorite wife, his loved wife. Okay, he believed that Joseph was dead. He wasn't about to risk Benjamin's life. But was he willing to send the other sons? Yeah. What's that say? See, he was still treating Leah and Rachel differently. He was still dividing the family. He was still making a distinction. And Jacob himself, the father, the patriarch, was contributing to that family division as he had for many, many years. And he would eventually have to face this problem. Because for the family to come together, each one of them would have to deal with his own part in that family division. And so often we think, Truth be told, if only my spouse would change. If only my kids would get their act together. If only my teacher, if only my friend, if only my pastor, if only that person would get their act together. But how have you contributed to the division and the contention and the lack of unity? And what have you done about it? In the Sermon of the mount, Jesus said, hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Self-examination, remove your own log, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. And so the sons of Israel went to Egypt. And lo and behold, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land... Can you imagine? Of all the possible rulers in the world, Joseph, how perfectly ironic. These brothers couldn't possibly have imagined that their own brother, the one they hated, the one they rejected, the one they threw into the pit and ultimately sold into slavery, that Joseph had become the second most powerful person in all the world, and that Joseph had control over the world's food supply, and that he was the one to whom they would come and make the request for mercy. Oh, they didn't know yet it was Joseph. But Joseph recognized them, And Joseph had 20 years to think about the fact that he had begged his brothers for mercy and for his life, and yet they cold-heartedly closed their ears and rejected his pleas. And now they were standing before him in need of mercy, in need of life, so to speak, And Joseph could treat them any way he wanted, just the way they had treated him. Yes, they once in their combined group had power over Joseph, but Joseph had real power over them at this point. Here was his opportunity for revenge. What would you have done? Would your heart have grown increasingly bitter and angry over those two decades? And would you be grinding your teeth and saying, whoa, now I can pay you back. Notice that Joseph's dream, the first dream, is being fulfilled. I mentioned that already last week. Essentially, his brother's sheaves were cut, had come and bowed down to Joseph's sheaves. And Joseph recognized these foreigners as his own brothers. And he knew that God was fulfilling his word. We're told that Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed. So this is all said in the context of God fulfilling these dreams. Bringing this event to pass as he had declared elsewhere. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose and I will do it. And at that very moment... Joseph began his God-ordained rule over his brothers as they bowed down before him and they called him my Lord. But what does God command? Love even your enemies. Do good even to those who hate you and abuse you. Forgive others their sins. In everything, treat others the way you want to be treated. Kids, what do we call that? The golden rule. So how hypocritical, how hypocritical would it have been for Joseph to deny mercy to his brothers when he once so desperately wanted mercy from them? You see vengeance is for God what's for us the golden rule to love even those who abuse us you see in God's kingdom to rule is not to exercise tyrannical cruel self-serving control over people headship doesn't make doesn't mean making demands and manipulating others for your own benefit for God's people in God's house in God's kingdom Headship or rule is exercising giving to one another and, and exercising self-sacrificing service, even as Christ, Lord and king and master and what? Head of the church and ruler over all things, gave himself, sacrificed himself. He was the suffering service, the servant, the lamb of God. He said, "I didn't come to be served." but to serve and to give my life as a sacrifice for many. He didn't come to take, but to give. Not to demand, but to sacrifice in love. And that Christian leadership, that Christian service is specifically to lead others into godliness and righteousness. Consider what we're we're told about Jesus. Christ gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so Joseph's father, Joseph's role as ruler over his father's household, over his brothers, is to lead his father's house back onto the path of righteousness and unity. Not to exercise some personal vendetta nurtured over years of, of bitterness and anger. In fact, vengeance and revenge is exactly contrary to the role of the Christian leader, the Christian ruler, because the Christian overcomes evil. How? by good by love hate just, just stirs up more hate but love covers a multitude of sins love changes hearts and one of the keys to biblical reconciliation and peacemaking is to have that meek and gentle forgiving heart the heart that loves the offender the heart that's ready to forgive The heart that, above all, seeks the other's spiritual good. See, when we're offended, we tend to focus on our own hurt, our pain, our rejection, or whatever it was, right? And we can forget that that person's sin has impacted that person as well. You see? That person needs to be restored. That person needs needs to be turned back to the right way. Paul wrote to the Galatians, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of of gentleness. And to restore has the idea of putting something back in its appropriate condition, to fix it or to repair it, to set it right to set it in order, and that's what the offender, the sinner, needs to be set right, to be fixed, to be repaired, okay? When something you own that is very valuable, maybe you spent lots and lots and lots of money, or it's an an heirloom or something, and it breaks, you just toss it away like garbage, or do you seek to carefully restore it and repair it? See, when there's an offense, both parties have needs. Not just the offended. You see, the offender actually has the greater need because he is the one who sinned. She is the one who's broken or out of order. Both have needs. And did you hear me? The offender has the greater need. So nothing Joseph's doing here in this chapter is meant to punish his brothers. Rather, his purpose is to lead them back onto the path of righteousness, or really maybe for the first time in the case of them, to guide them to the right way, because his purpose as God's servant ruler is to lead his family into unity, into oneness. And that means they must first recognize and confess their sin. Repentance is essential, it is, to family reunion and reconciliation. And Joseph has a plan to do just that. And so one of the keys to his plan's success is that he not reveal his identity. They didn't recognize him yet, and he wasn't about to tell him who he was. And it would have been easy for him to keep his identity unknown because, let's face it, After 20 years, he spoke Egyptian fluently. He dressed like an Egyptian. He acted like an Egyptian, okay? And they hadn't seen him since he was 17. Now he was late 30s. He had matured and changed. His look had changed. He had a scruffy beard of a teenager and probably long hair. Now he had a clean-shaven face and and a shaved head, like J.B., Good-looking dude. And so Joseph engaged his plan. And he spoke harshly to his brothers and said, Where have you come from? Now, okay, kids, he wasn't speaking harshly because he was angry at them. That was part of his plan, okay? He needed to test them to discover their hearts. Were they still jealous? Were they still envious? Were they still selfish? Was the family still divided? And Benjamin the other son of Rachel would be key to that. And they said, well, no, we've come to buy food from Canaan. But Joseph knew his role, and he accepted his family role when he said, no, you're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. Of course, they weren't spies, but notice how they responded. No, we are honest men. Mm-hmm. Honest, Really? Yet they had never told their father the truth. They, ever, never, they had never acknowledged before their father what they had done. Living all these years with their truth unconfessed, or with the truth unconfessed, and their lie uh, covered up, unacknowledged. Well, Joseph noticed, of course, that Benjamin was not among them. Ten brothers came, but not eleven. Benjamin was not there, and Joseph needed to know why not? Why wasn't Benjamin there? Had his brothers done away with Benjamin? Had they done something evil to Benjamin as well as to Joseph? Where was he? So he kept accusing them until they mentioned their absent brother, which they did in verse 13. And notice they also mentioned Joseph. And they said, And one is no more. One is no longer alive. <laughs> I can't imagine. That must have been like a sword. Piercing Joseph's heart. And I think he wanted to say, What do you mean no longer alive? Who is standing before you? I am Joseph. I am very much alive. What are you talking about? But Joseph had learned self-control through years of suffering. And he was committed to his family's good. Much more so than his own self-interest. And so look at verses 16 and 17. He said, Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. And again, it appears that Joseph is cruel here, but it's not true. He was testing them whether there was truth in them or not. See, they had to come to the point where they would confess and admit their sin that they might actually become men of truth. Maybe suffering in an Egyptian prison, they would have remembered how they threw their brother into a pit and caused him to suffer greatly. And they laughed at his pleas for mercy and mocked him and scorned him and sent him off to be a slave in Egypt. Maybe then their consciences would accuse them. But on the third day, Joseph changed his plan, or maybe this was his plan all along, and he said in verse eighteen, verse nineteen, let one of your brothers remain confined, where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain, bring it back to your family. Well, they had come for grain, of course. They told they told him that. Therefore, traveling that distance, they probably had a pretty great need for grain at that point. Joseph knew the famine was very severe, and so one man would not did not have enough uh, a did not have enough strength, did not have have the right uh, donkey or whatever it was to carry adequate supplies home for their father's household. And Joseph was concerned about his family. So all of them would then be allowed to return home except one who would be imprisoned. And so the men were clearly troubled and concerned. But you see, this is the brilliance of Joseph's plan. Because the ten brothers had no reason to believe that their father would actually send Benjamin back to Egypt to the danger that was there as the ruler of Egypt demanded. Which means that their brother, the one left in Egypt, might actually spend the rest of his life in prison in Egypt. And would those brothers be willing to sacrifice the one brother that they might be safe? That they might live. And the Holy Spirit used this to convict them of their sin. Verse 21 In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. We saw his distress, he begged us. We did not listen. What you sow, you shall reap. The Bible says, be sure that your sins will find you out. And so Reuben spoke up and he said, did I tell you not to sin? This is now the reckoning for his blood. And they're observing that this Egyptian ruler is actually more merciful to them than they had been to their own brother. And their stony hearts began finally to crack. And as they talked about their predicament in the Egyptians' presence, they had no idea that he understood every word that they were saying because Joseph had been using an interpreter as part of his uh, plan to not reveal his identity. But, of course, he didn't actually need that. He, of course, spoke their language fluently as well, of course. And when he heard their words, their acknowledgment of their guilt... He turned away and wept. He had to leave the room. He was so brokenhearted because there he is revisiting that old pain, remembering that rejection, the darkness of that pit being sent off into the unknown, estranged from his own family, his brother and his father. And he had to leave or risk revealing his identity and yet we know that God had healed this pain. We talked about that with the names of his sons, right? Manasseh and Ephraim. He had in his heart already forgiven his brothers. And that's one of the keys to reconciliation. If your heart is hard until the one comes to you to repent, your heart won't then be ready to receive your brother or your sister when he or she comes to you in repentance. And seeking restoration. See, for that reconciliation, for that restoration to happen, you, the offended, must do several things biblically. I mentioned one already. You must take the log out of your own eye first, Jesus said. And you must forgive out of a spirit of love, practicing the golden rule, seeking that person's good, denying yourself. And then address that one in a spirit of gentleness, as in Galatians 6. 6. You must pursue their good. And Joseph had done all of these. And so the matter was settled. Simeon was bound. And he was uh, taken away from them. Reuben was the oldest. And so the head of the family, the head of the brothers, he was not the one bound, perhaps because Reuben sought to Defend Joseph way back then, okay? Joseph, or rather Reuben, had opposed their plan. But Simeon was the second oldest, and he actually may have been the one chiefly responsible for the evil done to Joseph. And if so, the brothers who would have known that couldn't help but notice that God was exacting justice. As Simeon once bound Joseph, So Joseph is now binding Simeon. They couldn't not notice that. And the Holy Spirit was indeed after their hearts. Well, the story is to be continued next time. But let me say this. You know that there's not one of us, not one of us, who has not known divided and broken relationships It's one of the most common and yet disheartening circumstances in all of life is broken down relationships, division where there once was unity. In families, amongst friends, with neighbors, colleagues at works, yes, even in the church, in marriage. All these relationships are subject to disruption and breakdown and division because we are broken people. And because we are, by nature, broken away from God and divided from our Creator, and we are in our own Egyptian pit, you, my friend, are a broken person, as I am a broken person. Not just the one who offended you. You also are broken. You also have issues. You also have problems. So can you say In truth, I am guilty concerning whatever the matter is that's brought this problem and this division. See, reconciliation and peacemaking is hard work. It's especially hard because it takes humility and gentleness and self-sacrifice and the offer of mercy when you want to take revenge. But the results are well worth it family reunion or the reunion of friends and the restoration of the offender. And so thanks be to God that He gives us the word of reconciliation and gospel ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus is in the business of family reunion. He's bringing His church together as one church. and might reconcile us both in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus is building His church, a church that is one, one church, one body, one faith. We read that earlier in Ephesians 4. One, 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 one. It's sin that divides it. It began with Adam and Eve, that woman you gave me. But Jesus is the peacemaker. Jesus is the reconciler. Jesus brings reunion. And because of that, we, his people, are also engaged in reconciliation, the ministry of reunion, wherever and whenever it's needed. Here's what Paul said. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Beloved, to proclaim that message of reconciliation you must be fully engaged in the ministry of reconciliation in your own life. For Joseph, it began right here in chapter 42 and continues on. In your life It can begin in today's chapter in your life if needed. You also, in Christ, are to be a peacemaker and a reconciler and a lover even of those who have offended you. In Christ, be a person of peace. Oh, Lord God, thank you for your gospel of peace, your gospel of reconciliation your gospel of forgiveness, and we receive it gladly. And yet, O oh God, we must therefore share it gladly, share that message, be those engaged in reconciliation and peacemaking and loving as we have been loved. For your word says if we can't love our brother whom we have seen, how do we love God whom we have not seen? Indeed, if we have forgiven if we have been forgiven of our transgressions, we must forgive others. We, we, we say that in the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday. So Lord, let us be humble. Let us recognize that we also are broken people. We also are transgressors. We also are sinners. We also are offenders. And let us be in Christ because of your gospel, because of your work of Holy Spirit, also engaged in the work of peacemaking wherever it's needed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.